Welcome, everybody, to the premiere edition of tonight's Healthy Scratches podcast. We are the three-headed monster that brings you great content on the Blogwin Network for tonight's Healthy Scratches. I am Frank Astaldi, along with Mike Salerno and Brian McCormick. All right, guys, let's get right into it. Now, we have the uh, interesting news today was the suspension handed down to Brian Marchand, five games handed down by Mr. Shanaban himself. Mike, what do you think on that? Well, you know, uh... I was surprised that he got five. I, I had him at four. Uh, obviously, he's a repeat offender. He had the two-game suspension for the elbow last year. Um, it was a pretty egregious hit, though. And uh, if you look at the video again, Marshawn really mixes it up with Salo, that entire shift in the defensive zone, on the penalty kill, no less. And he really tries to, to go out of his way to go right after Salo's knees. And I think, you know, I was surprised that it was five games, but... Um, I think that Shanahan got it right. What do you think, Brian? I, you know, five games, the, the game number was what we were all going to be wondering to see because it is a repeat offender, but again, it's not like it's necessarily a player with a, uh, a vicious history. However, it's a guy in Marshawn who over the course of the last few months uh, has got a bit of a pesky reputation. You know, He doesn't really have a, a whole lot of friends among, and especially if we're going to look at, at the job Matt Cook has done this year as far as bringing his game back to the right side of the law again you start to look for other agitating characters who actually have an impact on the game. And Marshawn's been a very good player for Boston, but he does have a little bit of a uh, an edginess to him that doesn't always come across well for other players. And it was a dangerous hit on Salo, uh, cutting him off below the knees. Whether Salo spun or not, it still targeted the knees at a time when Salo really, uh, when Marshawn really didn't have to do that. Uh, what actually had me a little more concerned after watching the replay a few times was that Salo actually got a concussion from it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we look at the uh, the increase in concussions this season, and people will say, well, it's a style of play, it's too fast, put the red line back in, players just don't have a level of respect. And all of those deserve some sort of a discussion. But, I mean, uh, part of it that has to be discussed is just the fragility of some players this season, or the uh-huh. last season and a half. I think it's very interesting that with all the focus that's been on concussions with the hits to the head, target of the head, and he gets a concussion, and the target was his ankles. So yeah. and, I, and I'll also say it's got to be also mentioned in the past, they say, well, uh, again, there's no respect among players. Players have to be able to uh, police themselves. These suspensions, the last year and a half, it's not the goons right. that we're having to deal with. It's skilled guys getting put in positions of half players not being able to protect themselves and half other players just trying to go about their business. And, and I'll even use uh, Rene Bork as an example, a big player, a physical player. Uh, not a goon by any means. No, but again, he, he's physical but he, and, and reckless. I mean, the, the elbow on Backstrom was unnecessary and uncalled for. But at the same time, this isn't someone who, like a Matt Cook, where this all started yeah. with. This is a kind of guy who's paid to score goals, paid to produce offense, and he's done a terrible job of it this season at that. But yeah. it, it's it's hard to pinpoint who to seek out in these situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as effective as they've, as they've tried to be with the suspensions that they've handed out, and they've been consistent, they've been thorough, I think the uh, the Shanahan videos on NHL.com explaining the reasoning, I think that's great because it's coming up to the forefront and giving the league stand out, right? I think that's the, the good PR way to go about it. However, it's hard to pinpoint. I don't know about you guys. I can't keep track anymore. No. no. I it see it this seems too like many. Every, every day we're hearing something different. And I don't even know if it's too many. Again, they're sticking with the guidelines of the rules they set. I see so-and-so suspended in a sidebar. I ignore it. 
Yeah. In the past, I would look to see the video because I was curious. Now I don't. I know what it looks like. Well, I no, even... I didn't mean that it was too many. In the fact that you know they're not doing the right thing. I give Brendan Shanahan all the credit in the world for trying to clean up a very mm-hmm. you know confusing part of the game. Frankly, um, you know it's commonplace. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know he he's really doing a great job as a, the uh, the director of uh, player safety. Uh, I, I have it here that Marshawn will lose roughly $150,000 in salary, and uh, Shanahan's explanation was that he targeted the he drops dangerously low into Salo's knee area rather than making shoulder to shoulder contact. Now the funny thing is, uh, is that these teams don't like each other. Obviously, they had a very very memorable game you know, seven game series for the Stanley Cup last spring, uh, and in Game Five, I believe Mason Raymond really upended Brad Marshawn. Uh, in the neutral zone, which was a clean hit, and it never even got looked at twice. But Boston fans all the last few days have been like, well, he just did that. It's the same exact thing. You know, no, it's not, because Brad Marchand is listed at 5'9", and that might be a little generous. But he really went out of his way, that whole shift, to be a pest to Salah, like you said, and he just went. It was like he dove right after him. It was like he dove about as hard as Henrik or Daniel did in the semifinals, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals maybe last year. So... You know, it, it's it's a tough situation, but I think Shani got it right. I could see people making the same argument when when you talk about uh, Zidane Char trying to avoid elbowing penalties. Well, how can he help it? He's seven feet tall. And anyone right. else who goes against a six feet tall, well, you say Brad Marchand, he's five foot five. How can he help it going against guys who are the size of Sammy Sallow? All the more reason why Brad Marchand should be able to go into the boards upright and play, and, mm-hmm. and make the play that way. There's no reason he needs to be doing the limbo trying to no. hit Sallow on no. that. But Parvin, and, and this is I think this is the perfect example of what the NHL is trying to produce, and one of the reasons why Marchand got five is because they hear the same discussions of the things that we talk about and the things that we hear every day. It's not an idea of hitting a player because I say more so than anything half the the uh, concussions I see, half the injuries I see. Players need to know and take the responsibility to protect themselves, sure. to put themselves in a defensible position. The key word that you see in the new rules is a defenseless player. Hitting a player in a defenseless position. And if you watch the replays, that's exactly what Salo was. Salo yeah. was a guy cut under at the legs when he wasn't prepared to take any to take impact. Well, you say he wasn't prepared. They had the man advantage. He's going into the corner to try to get a loose puck, which was at Marchand's feet. You can say, yeah, the puck was right there. Come on, you know, he's not going in contact first. And frankly, if you're on the penalty kill, I'm surprised that Marshawn was at all. Uh, he was looking to try and get a scoring chance and really get another goal in, in what was a very, very close game. I don't remember the score at the time, but it was within a goal at least. And I'm all for contact going for a loose puck in the corner. That's where you go jostle for position, sure. shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. A player who does not have the puck at present doesn't have to be prepared for shoulder to knee. Mm-hmm. How about the Lucic call in that game? What did you think about that there, Brett? Or Frank, I'll take it over on that one. The Lucic call was just so, so bad. It wasn't even. It's 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 honestly funny how bad that call was. He's clearly coming off the bench with a line change, mm-hmm. um, and I, the only thing you could have maybe, you know, have a gripe with is that he put him in a DDT at the end of it there and a little headlock. But to be thrown out of the game in such a crucial game that early in the game. Yeah. With the outcome that game had, it, it totally turns the game around. They corrected that in terms of, of suspension and, and fining. They, well, uh, they had to. He was going to get 10 games yeah. maybe. If they corrected it, which is which is good. And again, that, that also takes away the, the view that the NHL is, is uh, and I believe they have been trigger-happy in terms of suspensions and fines this a year. A bit, yeah. To, but it, again, to the point of trying to make a point, but this is also, it's not the, uh, a blind affair. They saw the mistake and they corrected it. And anyone saying Lucic wouldn't have had any kind of an impact on the end of that game isn't paying attention to the right. way that the Boston Bruins play hockey. Having said that, this is another example of Milan Lucic having a reputation as being someone 
who will cross the line or, or who's at least willing to take liberties in the physical game. And that's not a, a, a knock against him necessarily. It's the kind of player he is. Having said that, it draws a lot of attention to him. If you look sure. into Lucic, he, he jumped into a, a four-on-one battle. Mm-hmm. And the only problem is that he came off the bench. Now, to be fair, he had one foot on the bench, one foot off the bench. I can't blame a ref for making that mistake in the heat of the moment. Sure. And this isn't the first time all year that Lucic has been victimized by his reputation. Need we forget the whole Ryan Miller incident. Which was so, Ryan Miller's reputation of being a whiner. Well, you know, absolutely. But Ryan Miller, uh, excuse me, Milan Lucic is just playing the game, you know, nose to the grindstone. And, you know, a bit edgy at times, quite a bit. Uh, but he, he's doing everything... Most of the time, within the confines of the rules, and when that, you know, unless he's dropping the mittens, and then he's sitting for five, but he's back out there and he's really going, you know, real hard. It's it's unfortunate for a guy of his size that the way that he's treated sometimes by the referees, but you know that's just the way that the uh, the game is called sometimes. One thing I will say, I took away from that that after I'll say two things. I don't know off the top of my head. I haven't looked at the schedule if Vancouver and Boston meet again. They don't. They don't. First of all, I love that. The kind of feistiness that's developed between the two sure. clubs. I love that. Sure. Well, you know, it was funny. I don't mean to interrupt you, but they, they said before the game, a couple of days before that, they're like, oh, it's just another game. Kind of like uh, when the Yanks and Sox come to town and, and they're like, oh, it's just another game. Well, no, it's not. You know, these two teams, one of them is still gloating about their rings and the other one is is really surly that they didn't get their names on that cup. But, you know, it was great to see them uh, um really go after each other like that and what i do love also though is again a team like boston that's higher than anybody else through the last month and a half of the season vancouver came in vancouver not known for its feistiness not known for its its uh violent approach more of a skill team and in the end it was vancouver who was able to get their skill players on the ice to finish the job and it's a team that in Boston, that lost at home, and again, this isn't the NFL. We're going to treat every home game or every game as an individual event. But having said that, a, a Bruin team that looks stronger than anybody else and is probably stronger each individual position than any other club uh, can be beaten if they decide to take that sure. that route to play mm-hmm. a purely physical, r- rough, rough yep. stuff kind of game. That that kind Absolutely. of game, Boston can be beaten. I think the one difference between this year's Vancouver team and, and last year's might be Cody Hodgson. You know, you saw that blistering shot that he beat Thomas with for the fourth goal. Uh, If he can come on and really provide some secondary scoring for this team, that's the scary part. They've got the Sedins, they've got Burroughs. You know, to provide some secondary scoring at the level which he plays might be the difference. We might be talking about this again in June like we were last year. And the start of the year that Christopher Higgins has had as well as far as secondary scoring. And the other thing I'll say uh, before uh, before I'm done talking about this, this subject is that Jack Edwards needs to be replaced immediately. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. He's not the only one around the league, but he might be the, the biggest offender as far as homerism is concerned. Might be. Who am I kidding? But, uh, you know, it, it is fun if you can appreciate it for what it is and not get too wrapped up in how crazy the man is. It's quite hilarious. He should have been fired the minute he finished the Revolutionary War spiel. That's I agree, but end. you know what? To, to have Benoit Pouliot on the team now and producing after all that he said about him last year, it makes me smile because I know that a little part of Jack Edwards dies every time Benoit Pouliot makes a good offensive play. So with that said, I'm signing him to a big extension. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, uh, of course, the injury to Salo was you know concussion. There was also a, another injury. Today that got announced. That's right. Dustin Penner Penner Pancake, I think is his official name from now on. Um, 
Well, you know, the funniest thing about that was, yeah, you went out of your way to tell the media. It was similar almost in the fashion where Sean Avery in, in Dallas, or excuse me, in Calgary so many years ago, gathered the media around him to tell them about the sloppy seconds comment. You went out of your way to go and say, yeah, you know, my wife made delicious pancakes and I strained my back reaching for one of them. That's a direct quote. Are you kidding me? You didn't sleep on it wrong. You didn't tweak it in practice. You didn't do anything. You, you didn't were, step down a stair wrong. You, you know, you, it kind of makes anything. me think he's in trouble with his wife and he needed to throw a, a right. compliment. He's probably, right. he's probably right. Probably was. I hope that the Kobe syndrome isn't going around LA. But geez, that sure is what it sounds like. You know, what's yeah. you know, the first thing that came to my mind was when Aaron Boone hurt his knee playing basketball yes. and avoided his contract and how lucky LA would be if there was a clause in the contract <laughs> yeah. that this would do it. Yeah. <laughs> Any breakfast accidents and we're out. We're, we're completely yep. void. Uh, but I mean, it just uh, adds insult to injury for the uh, complete debacle that Dustin Penner's tenure has been since last year's trade deadline when he ended up in L.A. Well, speaking of the debacle, I was telling Mike earlier, I mean, he's only had four goals as a, I think, career for the as Kings. King. Is it too early to bring pancakes to the game, frozen pancakes, to start throwing if he scores a hat trick? I mean, you know, that's that's expecting the Kings to score three goals in the same game, which is a much, much bigger problem. I don't even think... That uh, Dustin Penner is the tip of the iceberg as far as their scoring woes are concerned. I'm I'm a little more afraid of the precedent that that would set for what else they're allowed to throw at Dustin Penner. Well, that's a yeah. point. I mean, Melody had the rats. So how far? Which off made a comeback eggs? this year. You yes, know, with the whole breakfast theme, how far off are hard-boiled eggs at that point? Uh, did it have to be hard-boiled? No, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the Kings, though, since they've had this coaching change uh, over the last ten games, they are six one and three. Four of those games have been decided by one. Four of those wins, rather, have been decided by one goal or less. But they've only scored 19 goals in those 10 games. That is less than two goals a game. Jonathan Quick has been standing on his head. He's not bad. Like how, the, season. how are the Kings getting this done with such a lack of offense? Well, you just said it. Jonathan Quick is, for me, he's in the Vesna talk at, at the midway point. Uh, we'll get into that a bit later. But he uh, he's stealing the show out, out west. You know, it, without Jonathan Quick, and even Bernier is a, is a capable backup, but... Jonathan Quick has really just been completely uh, the the equalizer, I want to say, for the lack of offense. You brought Richards aboard, and you go, wow, you've got guys like Kopitar and Richards and Penner, and you Dustin really Brown. and you Dustin Brown, you know, who's who's a, the kind of blue collar guy that you need, a, a glue kind of guy, and you, you're looking at this team like they might be, you know, going real deep in, into the playoffs. And none of them can find the back of the net at all. Which you know, Mike Richards had had injury problems earlier this season. He's in a new face in a new place. You know what? Fine. You want to give him a pass? That's terrific. Simone Gagne, where are you? Where are you, man? What's what's your deal? And you got Kopitar, who's still playing. Uh, you know, he's not playing up to astronomical Kopitar levels. He's still got thirty six points in forty two games, but he's only got eleven goals. I think you know? he's been a little banged up too in the process. Yes. What I will say is that when Daryl Sutter took over, we knew what it was going to be. Terry Murray was a little bit of a softer persona, a guy who got right. along with the players. Kind of the way, like, and just to draw some parallels, what guys have said about uh, Tom Rennie. Tom Rennie is the name I was going to say in Edmonton. Now, he's perfect temperament for, for Edmonton for player development. But once you develop the players, then they need to be pushed. And maybe Terry Murray wasn't the right guy to do that. Daryl Sutter, reputation-wise, was. And you knew that... He's a no-nonsense guy. He was not going to stand for that. He was going to be a drill sergeant, and he was going to be a defensive tactician. Now, they've won 6 of 10 while scoring 19 goals. Right. That's deep. And it's goaltending. They're still not scoring. Now, looking into the summer, I had high hopes for the Kings. To be honest, they were my September 
Western pick. They they were my Western pick as well. They're my Western pick in September because when you look down the middle, Anzi Kopitar, Mike Richards, Dustin Brown, that's incredible depth. Throw down and Jared the stole down there too. Don't don't throw at him. Their their depth down the middle was incredible unbelievable. Depth down the middle. But I'll read this now. This is their wing scoring. Okay, their their second leading scorer, Justin Williams, with twenty four points in forty two games. Okay, for your for your second leading scorer, that's not very good. No. But let's give it what it is. For, that's Justin Williams. Simon Gagne, 17 points in 34 games. Simon Gagne is number one, two, three, four, fifth on the team in scoring. After that, you've there two is defensive. not another winger until Dustin Penner with eight points. This is a and again Dustin Penner with eight points in 30 games, ready to be run out of town. Yeah, this and a half stack of pancakes. Don't forget, <laughs> this team is incredibly, incredibly shallow on the wings. Yeah, incredible. Justin Williams is the guy I dropped on my fantasy team in, in month one when he, you know, he had 10 points in I think the first 15 games and then didn't do a thing for a month. And, and Gagne, a guy who really isn't coming off a great season and now in this year not doing much much better. This is a team that desperately, desperately needs to make a move yeah. for, for wing scoring. And we'll get to more of that later. We're going to talk some trade deadline. But what I will say is with the exception of Penner, for L.A., who was lost in the woods more than anyone? through the first few months of the season, was Drew Doughty, mm-hmm. right. who missed camp, who had a holdout, finally got a deal done. He was terrible. He, at the very least, has a goal, but he has seven points in his last ten games, and he's showing some signs. A little bit of a resurrection. Some him, signs yeah. of waking up a little bit under Daryl Sire, which is only good for L.A. because they need him to get going in a big way. I get you. Where I put on that? No, you know, I think Brian hit it on the head as far as the defensive system that has been put into place there. And that's not a knock on Terry Murray. He was a defensive-minded coach. But at the same time, he wasn't cracking the whip very much at all. Which you can see just just in the same way with their first round exit last sure. last year, how they really hit the skids in the month of April. Mm-hmm. Speaking of coaching changes, actually, uh, we got our seventh seventh coaching change. Which uh, oh, let me check your math on that. Yeah, actually, seven. And we're good. Okay, <laughs> uh, you know, and you think about it. Wow, that's that's a lot of coaching changes. That's the the second time in the last five years we've had that many. Scott Arneal was the latest to get the axe today in Columbus, which, latest? frankly, we, you know, we, we were waiting, waiting for, for that shoe yeah. to drop for quite some time here. We wrote um, when Jacques Martin uh, got the door uh, last month, we, we named a couple of guys that were probably on their way out next. We had no idea how Scott Arneal had a job a month ago. Let alone, how does Scott O'Neill have a job when Ken Hitchcock was first hired by St. Louis? That's, I that's could have sworn Hitchcock was going back there and O'Neill yeah. was going to be gone then. Well, I didn't think Ken Hitchcock was going to go back to Columbus just because the exit was so ugly. But again, I've been saying forever, basically through every single summer where new coaches were hired, even I'll say when uh, Pete DeBoer was hired in New Jersey, I'm like, Ken Hitchcock is sitting at home. Mm-hmm. You are a team that has had success with defense and nothing else. Hire the man. And then that will get me into a Lou Lamorello spiel, which I won't begin. But... <laughs> For Scott Arneal, it was the it was the fact that, first of all, he got incredible talent over the off season. I mean, I was really impressed with the things that Scott Housen was able to do with the kind of guys that he brought in, with the Wisniewski suspension, with the injuries that he had to deal with. Early I mean, season that, injuries. That's what you, got, give, you give him a pass in the early season, but that's what bought him some time. Yeah. Sure, you know, and you talk about a guy like Hitchcock, who's a defensive minded guy. They didn't even talk about defense at all in the in those summer meetings when they brought on Wisniewski, who's a defenseman on the power play. You know, he's not a defenseman. He's an offensive defenseman. And then they brought on Jeff Carter, obviously. Uh, A staggering stat to me about Scott O'Neill's tenure in Columbus, they scored, or excuse me, they allowed uh, six or more goals 
13 times in 122 games. That's good for over 11% of the games that he coached was essentially a lacrosse score. You know, and you want to pin it on Steve Mason not having a great year. Yeah, the kid's 23. He's having a rough go of it. But when you've got the scratches playing in front of him on defense, I would imagine it's rather tough. You know, he's got nothing. Fetter Tootin is, is, you know, he's a strong defensive defenseman, fine. He's a four. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, a not, four. he's not a one, he's not a two. And he's being asked to play those minutes, and he's being exposed very, very badly. What I will say, though, is that uh, Mason is not a victim. No, no, no. And, and I'm, all I'm saying is I don't want to put it all on him. He is, you know what? We saw it in the World Junior when, when Jack Campbell was unable to steal a game for the Americans, and they fell on their faces. You're looking at it in Columbus this year, you know? He, he's, an, he's a capable goaltender with decent defensemen in front of him, but you don't have either. He needs right? to have a system in front of him sure. for him to really shine. Sure. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to Tim Thomas you the game. He's not no. going to Henrik Lundqvist you the game. No, absolutely not. He needs that system in front of him, and quite frankly, they just, they did not have it. But you know what? They decided that they wanted to, to just run and gun with everyone and decide, oh, we're going to try and outscore everyone, and... This is the NHL. I don't know why they thought this was a good idea, but they're they're seeing how bad of an idea it truly was now. So, it, it, it we'll see what happens. Uh, you got Todd Richards, who's the assistant coach there. He's taking over after two years in Minnesota, and Mike Yao is up there now. But he was there for the last two years with eh, not great results either. You have to think that's a uh, a quick fix, and they'll probably do another full blown search this off season. Though, Brian, what do you think about that? Hey, you'll have to think about what kind of candidates will be available for that job. And we were talking about this just before. It seems anytime you want to talk coaching change, co- uh, coaching decision, just look at TSN's panel and see who has uh, downtime sure. and wants to fill it. I mean, right now the guy who jumps to mind for me because his name came up in a number of other situations is Mark Crawford. Because uh, Mark Crawford has a history of taking. Uh, struggling playoff border teams, building them up and making them competitive. Has he seen it all the way through since he left Colorado? Maybe not, but he's had some good runs in Vancouver. And at least in Columbus, it's a, it's a guy who's had a lot of experience in the Western Conference and can maybe step in. Again, just an idea of, of uh, one candidate. But then you also have to look at uh, assistant coaches who have had a lot of success. If you look at what uh, Paul McLean's done in, in Ottawa, he's been phenomenal. And yes. He's been, exa- and again, exactly the kind of temperament that a roster like that needs. Uh, so, I mean, they'll look under every rock. What's, what's tough is that, again, we have had seven changes so far. Right. I forgot the numbers in the last two years. It's double digits. It's staggering. The coaching market is kind of turning into a free agent market. It is. If you're going to make a change, make it quick. Make it quick before the good candidates are gone. Look how quickly Boudreaux went to Anaheim. Yeah, and, and not to say that he's fixed it. I, I've no. always had my, my own theories on Boudreaux. I'm not too impressed with him as a coach to begin with. But you need to make these changes while the guys are on the market. Uh, even... Think about when Joel Quenville left St. Louis. He sat around for a little while before he got a job in Chicago. You know, I think the one name that nobody is going to be able to talk about for a while uh, is Randy Cunningworth. Because I don't think he's coming back in Montreal. Because if they do, then they'll make Vancouver look like a tea party. But, uh, you know, he doesn't speak French, but he doesn't have to in Columbus. I think that right. if he gets let go, if they're crazy enough to let him go, which I don't understand how they can possibly bring him back with that rabid fan base... He'll Unless be he comes there. back with a Rosetta Stone DVD. Right, well, contract. he got it for is... Christmas, but it doesn't seem yeah. to matter much. Uh, I think that he could be a name that gets thrown into that ring and a couple other ones, but he's a very, very attractive option as as an assistant coach who could probably have good success. Let's see how he does. Sure. Let's see how he does, because not to mention the fact that, you know, say what you want with the language, say what about what's unfair for Randy Conner with, and there are things that are unfair, 
most importantly is he's under the spotlight of the biggest hockey market you can think of. I think that's going to promote better success than someone who can go to Columbus, shrink into the... If you're terrible in Columbus, until they start talking about relocating the franchise, no one's going to care. Scott Arneal's success rate in, in Columbus, and some would say he wasn't in the best position to have success, was terrible. Did anybody care if Scott Arneal had a job? No. No one cared. But I guarantee you that when Ron Wilson has... Uh, Ron Wilson having his first good season in the last five, if Toronto struggles again... Ron Wilson's head will be on the chopping block every day. Yep. So before Randy Cunningham, before I, I give him a job in Columbus and let him lead the redirection of my franchise, he's got to have success in Montreal. He can't have a muddling period in Montreal and then say, well, let's give him a chance over here in Columbus because that's not going to be the motivation that anybody needs, even starting their career. Right. And what I will say, and what do you guys think about this? Okay, Arneal's out. Richards has the reins for now. The next guy who has to answer the bell is Scott Housen. I was just going to say that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think the next head coaching hire is really the biggest move they have to make. I think the biggest move they have to make is probably hanging on to Rick Nash at the deadline, which uh, has been rumored, and we'll talk about that a bit in a minute. But uh, it's it's interesting to see what they'll do as far as other personnel. They've got Johansson, who's having a pretty decent rookie year. And they've got, uh, I mean, I don't want to say they're budding with talent in, in their system, mm. but how well they can reload and how well they can u- allocate the dollars that they have. Because let's face it, they're not the New York Yankees. They're not going to go out and spend right up against the cap every year. But if they can s- use money in a smart, efficient way, which I, frankly, I still don't hate the Jeff Carter move. Uh, no. we'll, s- we'll see what happens with it. It's not their fault he's hurt. It, it, it wouldn't hurt to have Sean Couturier right now, though. I mean, it's, it's something that Nashville's done. It's something that Minnesota's done. They use their money very well. It's something that New Jersey used to do. Well, what do they have as a constant? Pecorine in Nashville, Backstrom and Harding, who have both turned out quite nicely for Minnesota. Right. Minnesota's struggling of late, but the goaltending is still there. Right. Well, they, at a, that one point, they were down to number three in Minnesota. and he. You need a bedrock from the back, and right. Columbus so desperately wanted Mason to be it, they gave him every chance, and it hasn't happened. And that's why for Housen, I have to say, for this offseason, I'm not going to judge him for the Carter thing because it was a trade he made, and Carter, had he been in the lineup, I mean, the, the stretch he was in the lineup, he, he produced fairly yeah. well. Carter's a he's a proven scorer. Yeah. Ten, ten goals in 30 games coming in between injuries, I'm not going to fall. I was going to say. Not only is he a proven scorer, he's a proven scorer in a hostile market too. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it, it was a trade that he made, he rolled the dice on it, and let's say if Carter doesn't get hurt on the fifth game of the season, you never know what happens. And Rick that. Nash needs a center. Right. So the deal he made for the reasons he made, fine. What I will say is seeing the way Voracek plays in Philly hurts. And he was a top pick. Yeah. Filatov, a top pick for Housen. Well, that's their biggest problem. Didn't pan out. Inability to really cultivate talent. Yeah, I mean, Prospel's having a great season, great enough to get traded. Again, we'll talk about that stuff later, too. But you look at the rest of the roster. Johansson, not playing poorly. Do they need to get him up? Yes, but he's not in an environment where he can prosper and succeed. I, and honestly, it's got to be discussed. Rick Nash came up as a premier talent. He's still a premier a premier talent in the NHL. But because of the atmosphere he's been in, is it fair to say that Rick Nash has plateaued? You know, it's interesting because... Did uh, the ceiling come way down? You know, I'll be damned if I can remember what writer. It was a Pittsburgh... It might have been Rob Rossi from the Pittsburgh Tribune was saying, uh, guys that played meaningful seasons at 18 and 19 years old at the NHL level... You can't expect them to really produce in their mid-20s like you would usually expect a, a prime season from someone. 
Uh, you, you look at guys like Malkin, and, and you look at the Penguins. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really struggling. And you, uh, how about that Alexander Ovechkin guy? What What's he done lately? Mm-hmm. You, you have guys who have played premier minutes early, early, early in their career that are starting to get a lot of mileage on them. And they're in their mid-20s, and their bodies are almost in their mid-30s. You wonder if the prime, so to speak, has gone – if you if you got a guy like Nugent Hopkins who comes into the league at 18, you wonder five years from now if he's not on top of the world, he's starting to come back down already. It's- I worry about the fact that you put Rick Nash in this situation. It's been eight years. He's played four playoff games. My problem is that look at Antoine Vermette. The kind of things they expect from him, he's not that kind of player anymore. No. They can trade him maybe, but the, expe- the expectations they had for him, he can't meet. The expectations they had for R.J. Umberger, he can't meet. Derek Broussard is one of the biggest disappointments in the National Hockey League. Their window for success with one of the best players in the NHL is extremely, extremely tight, and they're not even close. You wouldn't know it by the way they're paying them. <laughs> they're, but they're not even close. Like no. they're even talking about the fact like they might even move them and start over. Sure. Right. And that, but then what? If you let's say you make Ryan Johansson your new Rip Nash, you have you still have nothing around him, and you're eight years away yeah. from being anywhere close to successful. And Scott Housen has an answer for that. He has to. Right now. Like, as we were talking with these moves, um, let's kind of shift into trade talks here. Start right back with Columbus. Trade me right fucking now. That is probably what Vinny Prospel is saying right now. Uh, we'll <laughs> stay, he's got a lot of callers. We'll stay in Columbus. Uh, at what point is it this week, next week, more towards the deadline? What point did I just hit that red self-destruct button and players just start shooting everywhere? Oh, they hit it. They, they hit it uh, right after Anaheim scored the seventh goal last night. Right. Uh, and they fired Arneal on the spot. The poor guy took a morning flight back yeah. to Columbus. I'll tell you what. That was that was a game where Columbus was getting their coach fired. I'm not going to say on purpose, but Columbus was just rolling over and dying. Yes. Right. And the entire Anaheim Ducks roster was trying out for the trade deadline. Right. Sure. They, they were. were all trying to get moved last night. That's weird. It was two teams that are they're probably going to move a decent amount of players on both teams because they've I mean Columbus they've been seller dwellers, you know, for the past 5 years. Um Anaheim though, Anaheim was right up there with the Kings for me this year as far as coming out of the West. Very shocking that they're doing that. I'm, I'm I am shocked. 7 or 8. Yeah, I I, I had not 12. No. You know that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's just shocking what's going on with Anaheim. Now, we mentioned that Columbus is going to have a fire sale. That's inevitable. It's going to happen. Vinny Prospel will probably be the first person sent off to a contender, and why would you not trade him? The guy's having a phenomenal year. He's a proven vet. He's a good playoff guy. Um, he's going to come cheap. I'll be, you know, second round, third round pick maybe in return for him. Um, do they trade Nash? Do they, do they trade any of their big guys as, you know, that's going to be hard to see, but speaking of big guys being traded now in Anaheim, their big three of Getzlaff, uh, Perry, and Ryan, um, do you expect any or one of them, any of them, to be moved? None of them should be moved because I don't think they're the problem. If anyone does move, it would probably be Ryan because, first of all, because we've had the discussion already, so it's already in their mind. They're willing to take the offers for right. it. And I don't think, well, first of all, Perry is their best producer overall. You can't replace a Corey Perry. Uh, Bobby Ryan has the potential to be a Corey Perry. Do they need to move any of them? No. Is it a matter of motivation? Yes. Put this way. Randy Carlisle is a drill instructor, and they wouldn't listen to him. Bruce Boudreaux, in my opinion, for, if 24-7 taught me anything, he's a pushover. Yes. 
and he hasn't gotten any better results. I he, I thought that was uh, Anaheim blinking first when they hired Boudreaux right away. I don't think they investigated the problems in, in uh, Washington, the fact that he couldn't handle egos, and right. the fact that he hasn't had any success in pushing Ryan or Perry or Getzlaff as a team in the proper direction. No. If there is one person on that team, uh, you touched on it earlier, um, Koibu, he would be a very interesting piece for a contending team. He's a great depth guy, you know. And, and just to touch on Bobby Ryan again for a second, <laughs> I have a whole hell of a hard time trying to understand how you want to trade a guy who's making $5.1 million, uh, as a cap hit through 2015. Now, that's a, for his production or his assumed production, that's an outstanding price. You've got Getzlav and Corey Perry both coming off the books after next season. So to trade Ryan Getzlav, who's in his 30s now, that's understandable. If you can get a good haul for him, fine, go for it. If you really want to, you know, but he's your captain. And that's that's a sign of the times in Anaheim. However, if you look at Koivu, and, and he's the kind of guy that you move. <laughs> he's the kind of guy that doesn't eat pancakes, but he's, he's a guy that was like Dustin Penner last year where you could have a depth guy who's really going to add both both to both ends of the ice. You know, he's really going to strengthen your team from uh, the bottom six, probably. Because if you're really not looking for him. If you're looking for him to be in a top six role, you're really not a contender in the first place. Right. You have a lot more problems then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's one guy on that team that every te- other team in the NHL is salivating over, but he would be the perfect ideal person to be moved, but he will not be moved, and that's Tamu Solani. No. You know, he wants to, unless he goes back to Winnipeg. They're not going to make a move, and he doesn't want to move. No. He's not going to go anywhere. The one name I have heard that's interesting is Lubomir Vishnovsky, who's making 5.6 through 2014, excuse me, 2013, uh, the end of next season. Bit pricey. He's a bit pricey, but at the same time, he's he hasn't had a great year, but he, at his best, can be uh, a, just a wizard on the power play, on the point. So the teams try and get a chance on him and try and you know give him a new place to play a new D partner, maybe that sparks him a bit. Who knows? But he could be a name. Uh, Brian, what are some other names you really think that could be traveling uh, right around the deadline? You know, I, let's go a team at a time. We've already discussed Prospel in Columbus, who's uh, very fits a lot of teams' needs. Again, we've talked about teams that are shallow at wing. The Kings need scoring, period. They need wing scoring. Prospel having a 30-point season. St. Louis is having a lot of success playing great hockey. Still not stacked offensively. And again, after Steen, not much on the wings. So St. Louis is a team that could be looking to add on the wings uh, as well. Crossville fits the bill for a lot of teams, and he'll come affordably. Not to mention for Columbus, he's a, uh, a restricted, uh, unrestricted free agent at the end of the season and probably won't be looking to come back. So He's a perfect playoff rental. Perfect for them to move. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at the same time to see Federtutin move too. Federtutin, who's having, uh, he's third on the team in scoring for Columbus. Again, for Columbus, we're not going to talk about scoring as though it's a, uh, an attractive selling point. No. Having said that, like we said, if if you're a team right now looking to make a playoff run, you're not looking for a number one overall uh, overall defenseman for your roster. If you're not, if you are, you're not. You have proper playoff footing. Tootin for a four, five, six kind of guy to add to your roster is a strong selling point. So I think Tootin's a guy who can move from Columbus too. Uh, looking at other rosters, uh, Anaheim, my biggest guy to point to, I think Sakukoyev is perfect. Yeah, and I think he could draw picks, which I think is what Anaheim's going to want more than anything else. Maybe a depth defenseman as Anaheim's going to look to get younger on the blue line too. Vishnovsky, I don't know. Just because I'm looking at other teams, I don't know that... I don't know that Vishnovsky's necessarily the best defenseman you're going to see up for grabs. No, especially for that price. I agree with that. 
Because that's the thing. Again, for that price, he's a minus six on a bad team once again. You need to know. It's it's one of two things. Who blinks first? Am I going to dramatically overpay at the deadline for someone that might help me? Or am I going to recognize that this GM's head is going to roll if he doesn't do something and I can get him for cheap? Supply and demand. Exactly. It's a business concept. But it's You look at Columbus. Columbus is probably going to get hosed because the guys that they're looking to move, no one's going to take the Carter contract. No one's probably going to pay for Nash unless they're desperate. So if you're looking at guys like Tootin, guys like Prospel, you're going to pay the lowest thing possible. And Housing's going to say, all right, I need to unload this. He's going to give it to you eventually. Yeah. Those are the guys who are going to get hosed. Anaheim, you look at the talent on the roster, they could do nothing and argue for it. You know what? It's Boudreaux. We're going to give him some time. Yeah. New regime. We've got some youth. Fowler's going to mature. Emerson Edom's on the rise. Smith Pelly. Smith Pelly, who's hurt. They can wait a little bit. Not to mention that Hiller coming off his, uh, the vertigo symptoms last summer. This was not. A, this has not been a typical U.S. Hiller season. No. So Anaheim can wait, but who can move Koivu because he's older, because he's the kind of third-line depth guy, penalty killer that teams die for this time of year. He can move. Uh, you know, I've been I've been spewing for a while. I'll go for another team that's having uh, having some headaches. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers. The only guy that I can see them moving is Ryan Smith, and that would be with the agreement that they re-sign him as soon as July first comes around. Right? This might be the last year for him. You know, you don't you don't know what uh, lies ahead for Ryan Smith. He might just do one of those uh, sign and retire contracts over the summer just to become Captain Canada for the eighth time, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, one guy for me <clears throat> that really stands out is uh, Phoenix Ryan Whitney. Uh, excuse me, Ray Whitney. Uh, Ray Whitney is is a guy that is over thirty five. He's an expiring contract. He's another depth guy. He'll he'll really, uh, he but he's a gritty winger too. He showed his probably his worth best when he was in Carolina, and he, you know, I just think he adds a lot of of grit to the team as as well as a, a very seasoned scoring touch. Frank, what do you think about that? I I agree with that absolutely. He's a guy who's going to add character to any team that he goes to. Yeah. Um, it's I don't want to compare him to this, but it's what Washington tried doing when they acquired Marco Sturm. He's a guy you want to acquire at the deadline that are going to put you past that hump, that are going to give you that depth, they're going to give you that little extra effort. When team when he's playing on a team that really hasn't been contending all year, he still might have a little more emotion, a little more drive to prove that this season wasn't a waste. You know, right. It's these guys like these that really add to your team's success during the postseason, which is one of the hardest times to you know, succeed. Mm-hmm. And you need to look for that extra effort. You need to look for that extra drive, get those extra inches. And these are guys that are going to give it to you. Looking at the Phoenix Coyotes, I mean, right now, let's let's not uh, misdirect anyone. They're two points out of a playoff spot, and they're three points out of six. This is a team that's actually hanging in pretty tough. That's true. You know, it, not to mention with the goaltending of Mike Smith, who's reinvented his career. He's been phenomenal in Phoenix. But what we have to say is, me and Frank, you and I were talking about this earlier before we got on the air, they didn't contest for Brzezgalov, who was their entire team, and is the reason why they've sunk so far in the standings this year compared to last. Not that they said this year's Brzezgalov would help them anymore. So no, they didn't contest for him. They traded Upshaw last year, who even having a down season was a pretty important part of their roster. They have done, essentially made no additions to this roster to strengthen it over the last couple of years. Got rid of Terrace. Terrace is gone, which is essentially because they didn't want to pay him the extra money. This right. is the second overall pick. Third overall pick, I think. Yep. Which, whether he deserved it or not, they weren't going to budge. You have to question. At this time last year, we were talking about, well, who's going to buy them? When the Glendale's keeping them around for one more year. We were at least talking about 
uh, Balsillian and Hamilton, ideas of ownership, ideas of people coming in, paying the price to keep them there. Who's looking to buy the Phoenix Coyotes right now? Well, it's a tough sell for free agents. It's you know the same thing that you got on Long Island with the Islanders. Uh, how am I going to go there if I don't know where I'm playing in two years? Oh, absolutely. But it's not as far as a trade. It's it's not. There's no effort. No. And my point. Well, there's no money. <laughs> my my point is, what do you see for a team that no one will buy that the NHL owns and is keeping alive? Upshaw leaving, Brzezgalov leaving, salary shedding, completely because they know. They are about to relocate. Phoenix knows they, yeah. they're leaving. The only deal they've made is Yandel, and that was a long-term signing at a fairly affordable rate. Yeah. For what? For five and a quarter, for the kind of caliber player he is, not bad. Other than that, they have done nothing. If you know you're relocating, if you know you're leaving, you're going to start unloading people. These are all the players for Phoenix who have an expiring contract. These are all guys who are unrestricted free agents this summer. Shane Doan, Damon Lankow, Ray Whitney, Taylor Pyatt, Michael Roosevelt, Adrian O'Coin, Kurt Sauer, who I believe has been banged up a little bit. Yes. Those are some really, really attractive deadline names. Well, it depends on how, how far they fall between now and then. We do have at least six weeks before this is really, really at the forefront, which brings to mind a question that uh, the Blackhawks GM, Stan Bowman, brought up. Couple uh, couple weeks ago, not even. He wanted to make deals now. He he needs help. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a team that's really trying to go really deep into the playoffs again, and he's looking to try and make a move. And he goes, nobody really wants to make a move yet. Nobody's nobody's moving and shaking because the Western Conference is so airtight. Uh, when do you think we'll start seeing moves? Columbus could be now. Yeah, I Anaheim could start now. But they won't, and the reason they're not going to start now is because they're going to start saying who's available, and then they're just going to start bleeding people out for money. Well, not only that, I think they're not going to start now is because they, like you said, they are in a supply and demand problem mm-hmm. right now. So why would they tip their hand at, okay, we're looking to move people now? You know, teams like Columbus, teams like Anaheim, they're going to wait for the other GMs to start calling because right. then they know they have something of need that the other teams want. And like you're saying right now, I mean, I mean, why why isn't Pittsburgh uh, on the phone right now with Columbus yeah. saying, "Give me Vinny Prosper"? Columbus is not going to get any more desperate a week from now. Anaheim's not going to get any more desperate a week from now. Exactly. They're just waiting. The difference is, again, Patrick Sharp is out three to four weeks. Now we have a problem. You look at the uh, the Penguins. Look at the Rangers. If Ryan Callahan blows out his ACL, the Rangers have a huge problem. I'm the, surprised he's not hurt. Already. If the Boston Bruins lose Tyler Sagan, and they can they can handle an injury better than most teams, if Tyler Sagan hurts his goes down with a knee injury, now Boston needs something in a hurry, in a big hurry. And a, another team we haven't talked about yet for trades. I mean, even look, I, mean, I, I saw Calgary play in person a, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they are awful. They're horrible. And for every three-game winning streak they have, they follow up with a four-game losing streak. You can't even be optimistic about them. They're actually much like the Islanders. Are they going to move Jerome McGinley? That's going to be Jerome McGinley's decision. That's not going to have anything to do with the management with uh, Feaster in in Calgary. But when certain teams get into injury trouble, and it's going to happen three days before the deadline, then Feaster's phone is going to start ringing. That's when he's going to start getting the calls. Honestly, Columbus doesn't have to do anything because whether or not Housen moves Prospel or Tootin, that's not going to save his job, because the return isn't going to be something that he can he can boast about. 
So for him, he just has to sit and wait because when the phone rings, he's going to find out what's tradable on his roster. He'll find out. Well, we want to take a look at uh, – we're about at the midway point of the season for most teams. A couple guys have games in hand on, on one another. But uh, it's a good time to really recap the first half of the season with a couple of the, the top awards. Uh, Frank, you know, we're going to look at the Hart and maybe the Vezina. Uh, Jack Adams for the Coach of the Year and, of course, the Norris Trophy for the best defenseman. Um, who are some of the names that you would be kicking around for finalists at this point in the year? For, let's say, the Hart Trophy. Uh, for the Hart Trophy, right now, my pick – hands down is going to be Jonathan Taze on the Blackhawks. Um, the guy plays, he's a two-way player. He's really picked up his offense and goal production this year. Um, I last, you know, in the Olympics in 2010, I watched that series and I said, if this guy isn't the captain in 2014, I'm going to be shocked. Um, you know, Crosby talk this all you want. Jonathan Taze. Crosby's head still hurts. Yeah, his head's, he, he needs a new head. But uh, they'll have that technology by then. But, uh, Taze in my hand, he's, you know, there's a lot of other names that you could throw in there, but for me, it's Taze, hands down. Uh, you know, you can't make a case against Jonathan Taze. No. The guy just does everything right. Uh, he's playing all kinds of situations. You know, he's an offensive player, sure, but he's great on faceoffs. He's great on the penalty kill. He really does everything uh, for the Blackhawks. One guy that can't be ignored, refuses to be ignored, uh, and refuses to let a concussion keep him down uh, is Claude Giroux. You know, you got a glimpse into what made him so funny and, and, and entertaining in the final episode of 24-7, sure. But, you know, the guy just just scores at will, whether he's asking Henrik permission or not. Uh, he's, he, the Flyers' season was in the balance when Wayne Simmons' knee went barreling into the back of his head. And he shook it off after a week and came back with the same performance that Sidney Crosby had, that four-point game against Dallas. Uh, I, I don't... You know, I would give it to Giroux, but I, you can't go wrong with either of those right now. Brian, what do you think? I, I go Jonathan Tave as well. And one of the things I noticed about Tave that's been terrific is, it, and I'll, I'll go back to the Crosby point you made, people's big issue with Crosby the last couple of, a couple of years ago was, well, Crosby is a great playmaker, but he doesn't score. He needs Malkin. He needs someone with him to produce. So what did he do? He went home over the summer. He worked on his shooting. He came back, and he was the best goal scorer in the NHL. Jonathan Tave has always been the most important center for the Blackhawks, but he, he did a good job setting other players up, and he scored his goals. He, you know, he, I think he's hit 30 a couple of times, yep. but it wasn't his primary role. This year, he's elevated that part of his game. I, I think he's at 23 goals now on the season. He, you know, He's become an offensive force in that sense, and at the same time, it hasn't taken away from the fact that he's still one of the best face-off centermen. He actually he is, as of now, he's the only person over 60% in the NHL. He leads the NHL he's in the, face-offs. And what I find funny about Taze, you mentioned, you know, the goal scoring. Yeah. He used to be the playmaker. Him and Patrick Kane have pretty much flipped roles, whether Patrick mm-hmm. Kane wants to or not. You know, Kane has become that setup guy mm-hmm. where Taze now is putting the puck in the net. Kane only has 10 goals. I mean, he's been stake-bitten. Uh, if anyone watched a, a game a couple of weeks ago, I think it was against – might have been against Phoenix, but he just had opportunity after opportunity. He was just getting robbed. And part of it has been Kane's transition to center, which is a different role for him. It's something he's had to do differently. But it hasn't brought down Taves' production at all. And, and, you know, again, the goal scoring has gone up. The assists are down a little, I think. But with that, Hosa's game is elevated. Uh, Sharp's been terrific until he's gone down. For Tave, he's your best goal scorer. He's your best face-off guy. He's still he's one of your best defensive forward. Absolutely, hands down. You need him in every facet of the game. And the thing, I won't say that this, this isn't true for Giroux. Whether I'm up a goal, whether I'm down a goal, in the last 45 seconds... 
Jonathan Taves on the ice. Oh, right. absolutely. Jonathan Taves is taking every face-off that I ever need done, no matter what, what team I have. If you give me any team in the NHL, my team is better with Jonathan Taves on it. If it I wasn't agree. for Pavel Datsuk, he would hands down be the best all-around player in the league right now. Absolutely. And, and again, more important to note is that every year he improves, he matures, and if anyone evokes, uh, I was always a big Messier fan, but if you want to talk pure leader, if anyone evokes mm-hmm. that image to me of captain, of someone who just takes control, Jonathan Tave is the Mark Messier of this right. generation. And we got to remember, this guy's only 23 years old still. You know, he's he's still young. And to talk about our heart discussion, I mean, you have to include uh, Evgeny Malkin in that discussion for the you offensive do. production he's had. Especially with everything that's been going around. Yeah. Well, you know, and the best part about Malkin's season to date, I think, is how he bounced back from, you know, Nobody knew how many games he was really going to have this season. With coming off knee injury, that's true. He was, he was as far as a fantasy asset was concerned. I was avoiding him like the plague, foolishly, of course. But uh, you know, I, I I'm very impressed with the way that he bounced back, especially without Crosby. You know, there's one guy that we haven't spoken about in the heart conversation, but I think he's more uh, worthy of a Vezina nomination, and that's uh, the Rangers' Henrik Lundqvist. Where would the Rangers be? Without the king in net right now, you know, Eighth. yeah. He, he, for all the talk about yeah. how Richards has helped this team and he's helped mature Delzato, that's terrific. But you know what? It comes down to the fact that Henrik Lundqvist is is just putting on a Broadway show it, it, every night at the Garden. It's been like that ever since Henrik came into the league. Ever since he, um, ever, four, excuse me. Ever since you know that post lockout season where going into uh, training camp. Where it wasn't even sure if Henrik Lundqvist was going to be on the team. They had Kevin Weeks; he was their guy. And it came about, you know, second week, third week of October, where the fans were literally calling for weeks ahead. He wasn't playing badly, but it was just Henrik was so damn good. Mm-hmm. And it has been that he won. That's the year he won the gold medal for Sweden. In 04 Torino, 06. 06. 06 Torino. He won the 06 award. Uh, and ever since then, this guy is just, he never, his name's always up there and, you know, mm-hmm. as the Vesna. And he always just seems to get robbed, especially playing on teams where you're talking about. St. Louis, we were talking about Los Angeles, where they don't score goals. Up until this year, the Rangers could not score goals for their life. But no, alive and, and even worse than that, their this defense year, was yeah, rather and, deplorable right. for a lot of it. And it was always – the only reason the Rangers made the postseason these years since the lockout is because of Lundqvist. You could give Yager credit. You could give Shanahan credit. You could give anyone you want credit. But it was – when the day was said and done, it was You can't give Lundqvist. Scott Gomez credit. You cannot give Scott Gomez credit. <laughs> you could give Scott Gomez a lot of credit, actually. You're actually right. Because uh, there's this guy that wears number 27 for the Rangers right now. What's his and name? Uh, I think his name is Ryan Donut or something like McDonough. That's what it is. Are you still on the pancake thing with the donut? Yeah, I was. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Tim Hortons is sponsoring the All-Star that's, game. That's a good so. point. Um, cheap plug. It, <laughs> thank you, Gomez. You are the gift that keeps giving. And who made that deal? Was that Pierre Gauthier? No, that was... Um, like Ganey's last act? That was Ganey's, that was Ganey's, Ganey's, last, that was Ganey's last act. Bob yes. Ganey's gift uh, to Montreal on the way yep. up. The what board. I will say is that when you look at the game of Henrik Lundqvist, again, there's always been a battle mentality that matched the Rangers' battle mentality. Battling right. for an eighth spot, battling right. for a seventh spot. The battle mentality is still there. It's just surrounded by a more mature defense, a more opportunistic offense, and a John Tor- Tortorella system that's been very It's good. not even a mature defense because they're so young. They're just playing... Light years ahead of their age. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, what I will say, though, what I do notice differently from Lundqvist in, in this season is that he's always been a goaltender that has played very, very deep. Right. Isn't that? And I've always criticized that because the only way, you, the, the best way to beat Lundqvist was always to walk out of the corner, spin and throw it straight upstairs, and it worked constantly. This year, the difference, uh, he's much more 
prone to challenge. He's right. so much better. He still plays pretty deep, which is it's it's what he does. His glove hand is heavily improved. It's unbelievable. Biggest difference, and he said he worked on that. He worked Mm -hmm. on it over the summer, having his glove hand higher as far as positional, uh, his uh, posture. Uh, his glove hand has been the biggest difference this year. It's been unbelievable. No, no, their last game that they played against Pittsburgh, it was his glove was pretty much uh, had its own name. Like his glove was just unbelievable against Pittsburgh, and that was always if he had a flaw, um, besides a bad hair day, Slow it glove. was his glove. He never had a bad hair day. That's good. There, you just said it. He never had a flaw. That's right. And the rebound control has been ter- uh, terrific. And you can't discount the fact that Marty Baron is eight and two. Right. Sure. Henry Lovins is going to play 65 games this year, and 70 max, and it's going to do wonders. Yeah. Well, speaking of capable backups, uh, as far as the Vezina Trophy race is concerned, you might have two candidates in Boston. You know, Tukarask is leading the entire NHL in goals against average with a microscopic one and a half, I believe. You know, I'm in the ballpark there. I don't have the yeah, exact Yeah, over regular goal attendance, Lundqvist is next to, like, I think, a 1.86. Yes. yes, but not far behind him is that guy Tim Thomas, who's yeah. not so bad, who's the uh, returning Vezina Trophy winner. Uh, how do you how do you go wrong in Boston? Because, it, you know, you, you have this guy, Rask, who you're bringing along, and you're trying to get more time, and all of a sudden... And he's a restricted free agent And he's a restricted free agent, and the Devils must be salivating with, with Brodor uh, probably walking out. Oh, but, he got to be. Uh, if Rask leaves Boston, I'd be shocked. I, he, I he's, he's the goaltender in waiting. Unless Tim Thomas... But how long? Have to wait? But Tim how long Thomas is he going to wait? Through next season. He's an unrestricted free agent, not this summer, but next. Unless Tim Thomas and Tavo Solani are hanging out at the same fountain of youth. I don't know if Solani's giving up his he location He doesn't look yet. bad. Look, but, everybody <laughs> wants to talk about how Boston out-muscles and out, just out-means everybody to two points every night. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that without uh, Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask in net, they're not anywhere near close to the top of the standings that they are right now. Um, one other player I really wanted to talk about as far as the Vezina Trophy is concerned, we touched on him earlier, is Jonathan Quick. He's got six shutouts. Earlier in the season, he went three games in a row without letting one behind him. That's not too shabby. Uh, I think Brian Boucher was the last one to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he, along with the new system that Sutter has put in place, has been keeping that team afloat in in Los Angeles. Uh, I I don't think there's any question that we are all in agreement, which doesn't happen very often, um, that... Lundquist at the break, or lack thereof, uh, would be Arvez in a trophy winner. Uh, but, it, you know, nipping at his heels right now is is Thomas, and even quick. So And I'll throw Jimmy Howard in there, too. Jimmy yeah. Howard on pace for over 50 wins. Yeah. So now Jack Adams. Um, Brian, what do you make of John Tortorella? <sighs> right now I give it to Tortorella, and, for its, and Frank will... Go against me. I'm right with him. It's it's Tortorella one and Ken Hitchcock one a because Ken Hitchcock yeah. has completely changed the culture in St. Louis. But for Tortorella to take uh, a young defense and make it its strongest point to put up with the injury of Mark Stahl, which uh, you can't put too much emphasis on, and at the same time can't take enough away. But he's it's really been Tortorella's system that the uh, players have bought into that has made this team, I think you have to say, drastically overachieved. You know, I think that uh, Derek Stepan had the best quote the other day, and you saw how much uh, Torrell has really brought this team along. He said that there's a Ranger mentality now, mm-hmm. that they go out and they just an outwork teams. It's, they have an identity. That's right. Uh, I, I, was, I was impressed to hear that from a 22-year-old kid, but that's just, you said about the, the maturing defense. Uh, they, they're playing wise beyond their years on both sides of the puck. And the fact that it's a difference that you see. When you see St. Louis win, the way that they do it is they just choke you. 
They get a lead, and they suffocate you. That's right. The Rangers really don't overwhelm you at any part of a the game. They never do, but when you make a mistake, they capitalize on it. And even if they fall back one nothing, there's a... The Rangers can transform within a game. The team that couldn't get their stuff together within the 11 minutes, once there's a stoppage, once there's a timeout, they reconfigure, and they're a completely different team the rest of the way. And that's why it really is a team that can correct themselves, as we even sure. saw in the Winter Classic. From the halfway point of the second period, that was a different team. Now, I'm uh, when you say that about a team that could correct themselves, and that stems like just from Tortorella at practice today. Tortorella did not like the way the Rangers were performing at practice he stopped practice, made them get off the ice, and restarted practice. Mm-hmm. Now, if a guy's going to do that in practice, I'm talking about practice here. How game, <laughs> practice. It's amazing what he's been able to have them do on the ice. You even saw it at, um, at against Pittsburgh. Uh, he didn't like the way they were the first couple minutes. They were getting heavily outplayed. He called a timeout within the first, I think, seven minutes of the game, and the Rangers were a completely different team the rest of that rest of that game. And I'll say, if I learn anything from 24-7, and I like Peter Lavula. I think he is a damn good coach. And I'm not even saying one had a better job than the other, but just from watching John Tortorella, he has complete control. Yeah. And that's one of the... People say what they want about Sean Avery. He could have had things. He could have subtracted things. You know what? I don't think he was an impact guy. We're not going to have that discussion now. Whatever John Tortorella's feeling is on, the, on what needs to be in that room, it I goes. trust it completely. It goes. I trust it completely, and no one's going to question it. You know what? Up until this year, I... I liked Tortorella when he first came in, when he replaced Rennie, just because I hated Rennie. Um, I, he kind of soured on me just because I felt he was too erratic. But I kind of – he's warming up to me because it seems is, like he has an evil plan that's finally – everyone has bought into it. And, and the, everyone who hasn't bought into it, they've been gone. shown the door. The same line juggling that drove you crazy in years past this year, it's he's not, still doing it. He's pushing the right buttons yep. every single player. You know, there's a couple of, uh, a couple of other coaches – that I would really like, uh, I would like to see get some recognition. Uh, Ottawa's Paul McLean, uh, who, who looks a little bit like uh, the demented Monopoly man, but <laughs> uh, you know he's doing a great job for a team that was left for dead. Everybody's like, oh, you know, it's funny. Everyone was quick to be outraged when the uh, Senators had four of the the top six starters, what have you, uh, in the All Star game. Guess what, guys? They're fifth in the conference. They just beat uh, Philadelphia. And they're sitting two points behind him. They're they're a legit threat. And you know what? Neil McCulloch is, is very close to the lead in goals. Yeah. Uh, Eric Carlson's on pace to set Senators' records. Spets is having a great year. The Spets only the only question mark you have. No, the other ones don't belong starting. Carlson does, but I'm not gonna. But you know what? Alfreds is the only one that doesn't really belong there. But he's the captain of the Senators. It's in right. Ottawa. Give it to him. All four of them. I'm sorry. Three of them. Alfredson does not. The other ones. Do they belong in the All-Star game? Arguably, yes. Starting, no. But Paul McLean's done a phenomenal job between him and Deneen for the best rookie Kevin coach. Kevin Deneen and, and Peter DeBoer. Peter DeBoer in New Jersey been, has done a great a job. Good job. With um, no goaltending. Quickly, I want to uh, touch on the Norris. We said Carlson. I think we're all in agreement there. Uh, at at, at some point, you know, you've got three nominees, uh, nominees for every finalist award. Do you just put Weber, Chara, and Lidstrom in a hat and pick two? At this point, for the past I, uh, fifteen years, I would say you would just pick out Char and uh, and Lindstrom. Right, yes. you know, and Weber has become Weber's a mainstay. So I, I think that you can't go wrong with either of those. But right now, I think Carlson's got them all beat, which is saying something. He really does. Yeah, I get I, Weber, in my opinion, is is good enough that you take Ryan Suter, one of the best players in the NHL, and you almost have to deal him. Yeah. Because unless you're willing to spend twenty one million dollars on three players between Weber, Suter, 
and Rene. I think that Weber is good enough that he's better than Ryan Suter, and you actually have to deal him and get the best offer for him. Again, that'll be a very interesting thing to look for on deadline day, too, what Nashville decides to do for the future. Last thing we want to uh, touch on, uh, we want to look at the week ahead in the NHL uh, before we uh, take off here. Uh, we each want to highlight one game, talk quickly about it, and what makes it uh, appealing. Brian, who you got this week? I have, is it next Saturday? Look for it, look for it, look for it. Come on, Brian. Yes, it, all right, I'm right here. Saturday, January 14th at 12.30 p.m. on NBC. It's the NBC Game of the Week, so haha, I win. Uh, Chicago and Detroit for rematch of last night's game. Last night's game was terrific. Again, this will be a cha- uh, Chicago team without a Patrick Sharp. Uh, Chicago scoring on the power play last night, but there's still only one for their last 17, so they're a little bit snake-bitten. But again, this will be a team right now, Detroit and St. Louis, with a share of the lead in the Central. Uh, Chicago just one game back, a very tight Central race shaping up, and that'll be an important game uh, heading into the middle of January. All right, mine actually happens midweek. It's on Thursday. It's um, Vancouver at St. Louis. It's pretty much two forces. You have St. Louis that does not give up goals, regardless if they have Brian Elliott or Halak, who has reserved himself, or the team who just scores at will, pretty much, the Vancouver Canucks. Um, also getting good goaltending lately. Yeah, surprisingly, regardless of what Boston fans want to chant. Um I'm giving Vancouver the edge in this one just because I think the firepower, it's, something has to crack in St. Louis. They can't be this phenomenal. 18-5-5, five five, I believe, is the record since Hitchcock's taken over. And I'm giving Vancouver, but still, it's going to be a great game. I'll take Detroit in mind just because they're finally starting to hit the pavement running. You know, uh, we're loving the new NBC Sports Network. Uh, that Summit Series was great. That's a phenomenal. Great. You know, that was okay. pretty good. We, we've got uh, – and we're loving the, the amount of time that they're really giving to the NHL – they had the game on last night. They've right. got uh, NBC, not even the NBC Sports Network. NBC will be showing Chicago-Detroit on Saturday. Uh, I've got another NBC Sports Network game. Uh, I'm going to take San Jose and Minnesota tomorrow night. So we've got one for you on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So you've got your week figured out. You're welcome. Um, I will say the NBC Sports format, the format, the brand name, all boats so much better. For it the works NHL well. Also. It, it, it really does. Works it gives well. it a little more of you know credibility. Credibility. You know, San Jose and, and Minnesota, two teams trending in different directions. Minnesota is really hanging on by a thread right now. Uh, they, but San Jose is eight one and one in their last ten. They're starting to look like the same old San Jose we've seen the last maybe five to ten years. Absolutely. One one thing that we will note though, as we leave you. Uh, there are two usually monumentous games this week in Pittsburgh and Washington and Montreal and Boston, which have been completely watered down, whether it be by injury, irrelevance by one team, or frankly both, you know, in, in the case of, of uh, Montreal. Uh, it's, it's impressive, and it shows that, you know what, Montreal-Boston's always something to tune into. Let's not kid ourselves, and there will probably be a couple of, uh, you know, dosy dos in that game. Boston-Vancouver's more violent now. But Boston-Vancouver <laughs> may not be, you know, Montreal may not even be uh, Boston's most hated Canadian team anymore. Yeah, I think Boston just doesn't imagine. like Canadians. No, they, they're not fans of them. But you know what? That's okay. Uh, Cue the Jack Edwards revolutionary word. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's something. Well, uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening in. Uh, this will be a weekly podcast, so we hope that you guys enjoyed it and you all come back next week. Uh, for Frank Castaldi and Brian McCormick, I'm Mike Salerno, and we're tonight's Healthy Scratches. This was fun. I don't know if the shirts and ties are necessary. Yeah, I should have worn pants. <laughs>